Well, good evening, friend. It's Old Hat. Back for another winding down story time. Hope you're winding down. I'm kind of winding down. I'm going to try and read you the rest of Daniel Boone, but I will tell you, I just realized that the light bulb above my desk has burnt out. <laughs> uh, there's another one. So I'm kind of okay. So there's four lights in the office of my study where I do my recording and two of them are out and one of them is right above me. So we'll see if I can't angle the book enough to uh, to read the rest of the story. <laughs> I hope you like the first half. Uh, the second half is uh, kind of like the first half, but you know, the book is not like the Disney movie, is it? But then life is seldom like the movies. I often have told my kids and grandkids, you know, that stuff on TV, that's not real. <laughs> this book has a lot of the real story in it, so I hope you like it. But it is a little different than the movie. This part has some, well, this book, it's like life, right? Some of it's scary, some of it's funny, some of it's happy, some of it's sad. That's kind of how life is. But I like reading about other people's lives because it helps me know how to deal with things in this life, too. So maybe that'll help you as well. But here we go with the second half of Daniel Boone. This chapter is called Attacked by Indians. Two years later, Daniel Boone decided that he had been away from Kentucky long enough. Pack up, Rebecca, he said to his wife. Pack up, children. We Boones can't stay in one spot forever. We're going to move to Kentucky. It's wild and beautiful there. There'll be plenty of land for you youngins when you want homes of your own. So the Boones packed up. Six other families joined them. People always seemed ready to join Daniel in his search for adventure. The household goods and farm tools were piled on pack horses. A few of the people rode horseback, but most of them walked. They drove their pigs and cattle before them. The rough trails made travel slow, but the families did not seem to mind. Just before they reached Cumberland Gap, Daniel Boone sent his 16-year-old son James on an errand. Turn back to Captain Russell's cabin and ask him for the farm tools he and I were talking about, he told the boy. You can catch up with us tomorrow. James reached Captain Russell's safely. He camped that night with several men who planned to join Boone. In the darkness, some Indians crept up and killed them all. When the families with Boone heard the news, they no longer wanted to go to Kentucky. They turned and went back over the mountains. The Boone family was sad because of James's death. But Daniel would not give up his dream of living in Kentucky. It would just have to wait a little. He took his wife and children to a spot where they would be safe, but they did not go all the way back to the Yadkin Valley where they had started. Daniel learned that all through Kentucky wilderness, the Indians were fighting the white men. Too many white men were coming west. Indians wanted to keep their hunting grounds for themselves. Daniel Boone and another man went into Kentucky to warn the surveyors who were measuring land there. Nearly all of them escaped safely. For a time, the Indians stopped fighting and Kentucky was peaceful again. The next chapter is The Wilderness Road. Now, a rich man named Richard Henderson had a big ideal. He would try to buy Kentucky from the Indians for himself and start another colony. His own company would sell land to settlers. Henderson was Daniel's friend. Boone had talked to the Indians about the ideal and thought they would sell the land. Many Indian tribes hunted in Kentucky, but the Cherokees were the most important. 
They had conquered the other tribes and ruled the land. Henderson sent Boone to ask the Cherokees to meet him at Sycamore Shoals in what is now Tennessee. Twelve hundred Indian men, women, and children came to the meeting place. Henderson had all of his trading goods spread out. There were yards and yards of red cloth. There were hundreds of bright new guns. There were beads and pens and little mirrors for the women. Henderson's company had paid a great deal of money for the trading goods. The Indians were like children about the business of trading land for goods. They loved the bright-colored trinkets, but they knew nothing about the value of land. Although they had their own lawyer, they traded Kentucky to Henderson for a tiny part of what it was worth. The Cherokees warned the white men of savage Indians who came hunting from the west and the north. They told Henderson he might have trouble settling the land. Boone did not go with Henderson to Sycamore Shoals, he waited near Cumberland Gap with 30 men. When Henderson sent word that he had bought Kentucky, Boone spoke one word to his men. Start, he said. The men began to make the famous wilderness road that was to lead to Kentucky. Later it would be traveled by settlers with their horses, wagons, and cattle. Just now Boone's men chose the shortest and easiest way over the mountains and through the woods. They followed Indian trails and buffalo paths. They swung their axes. They cut down trees. They crossed streams. Daniel Boone worked as hard as anyone, and all the time he kept a sharp lookout for unfriendly Indians. The men did not stop until they reached the banks of the Kentucky River. Here they began to build a fort. Boone knew that the Shawnees and other Indian tribes would not admit that Henderson had bought Kentucky. When Henderson came to the settlement, he said, We will call this place Boonesboro. It is right to name it for the man who led us here. Boone went back to get his family. Some of his children had grown up and married before the Boone set out for Kentucky the first time. Thirteen-year-old Jemima was his last unmarried daughter. She and her mother were the first white women to stand on the bank of the Kentucky River. One Sunday afternoon, Jemima and two other girls went for a canoe ride on the Kentucky River at Boonesboro. They knew they should not go out of sight of the fort, but they went anyway. They paddled down the river and around the bend. The current drew them into the opposite bank. Let's land and pick some of those bright-colored flowers, one of the girls suggested. Jemima shook her head. I'm afraid of the Indians. Those Shawnees are mean, she said. By now the canoe had drifted near the shore. The girl at the bow shoved with her paddle. The boat would not move. It was stuck fast in the mud. All at once, five Indians leapt from the underbrush. They grabbed the screaming girls and carried them into the forest. They planned to take them north to the Indian towns and keep them as slaves. Back at the fort, no one missed the girls until after dark. Then someone saw that the canoe was gone. When Daniel Boone heard this, he picked up his gun and rushed toward the river. He didn't even stop to put on his shoes. He felt sure that Indians had taken Jemima and her friends away. Three young men who loved the girls very much went with Boone. The men took another canoe and began to paddle down the river. They could not go far in the dark. Before long, they had to stop and wait for morning. When the sun came up, Boone found the girl's trail. He thought the Indians were taking them toward the Ohio River. He knew he must catch them before they crossed it and went to the Indian towns in the north. The white men left their canoe. They traveled all day through the deep woods. Then they made camp and waited for the long night to end. At daylight, they started out again. Boone took shortcuts through the woods, but he always found the trail. His sharp eyes saw what the girls had left for him to see. 
One had dug her heels into the soft mud. Another had left bits of her dress here and there. Boone led the young men straight through the heart of the forest to Jemima and her friends. About noon, the men caught sight of the girls. The Indians had stopped with them for their noon meal. The white men crept up. Bang, 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 went their guns. It's father, Jemima cried. Fall flat on your faces, girls, Daniel Boone shouted. The white men ran toward the Indians. They shot their guns as they ran. The Indians were taken by surprise. One Indian threw his tomahawk. It almost hit the girls. Two Indians were shot. The others ran away. The men took the three girls back to Boonesboro. Later, the three girls married the three young men. The next chapter is The Fort is Saved. The Fort is Saved. Boone became known far and wide as the greatest man in the Kentucky wilderness. One winter, about a year after he had saved the girls from the Indians, he went with some other men to a place where there were salt springs. These were called salt licks because the wild animals liked to lick the salt. The men planned to camp there several weeks. Apparently the poodle really likes this story, y'all. She keeps barking. <laughs> the men planned to camp there several weeks. They would boil the water in big kettles until there was only salt left. Then they would take the salt back to the people at Boonesboro. One day, Boone went out hunting alone. Suddenly, he was surprised by Indians. They were a war party led by Chief Blackfish. They were on their way to Boonesboro. These Shawnee Indians came from the north of Kentucky. They felt that Henderson had no right to claim their hunting grounds. Certainly, they had not sold Kentucky to him. They might not have been so warlike if the American Revolution had not started. The British were making friends with the Indians everywhere and helping them fight the settlers. Boone knew how the Shawnees felt about having to share their hunting ground with the white men, but he knew also that he must find a way to save the fort. Don't go to Boonesboro now, he told the Indians. You don't have a big enough war party. Boonesboro is far too strong for you to capture. This was not true at all. There were not many men at the fort, but Daniel hoped to stall off the Shawnees until Boonesboro had time to send for help. Wait until spring, he went on. Then you won't have to fight. The people will come out willingly. I will bring them north to you. Right now it's too cold for the women and the children to travel, but in the spring they will come with you. Chief Blackfish was delighted to find that Boone was so friendly. He had admired Boone for a long time. He did not know that Boone was trying hard to fool him. What about your men? Chief Blackfish asked. Boone thought quickly. He knew the Indians had seen the men at the salt licks. I will lead you to my men, he told Chief Blackfish, if you will promise not to kill them. Chief Blackfish promised. Boone took the Indians to his men. We are in great danger, he whispered to them. We must go north with the Indians or they'll kill us. The fort is in danger too, but perhaps we can escape and warn our families. At the end of a long journey, the Indians and their prisoners reached the Shawnee towns in the north. There, Chief Blackfish told Boone that he wanted him for a son. He made Boone go through a long adoption ceremony and gave him the name of Big Turtle. <laughs> Boone liked Chief Blackfish, but he did not really want to be a Shawnee. He pretended to be pleased about becoming the chief's son, but he only pretended. One day, the Indians went hunting. While they were gone, Boone ran away and started for Boonesboro. The Indians followed him, but he was too clever for them. They lost his trail. In four days, he traveled 160 miles. Finally, he reached Boonesboro. The Indians are on the way. Get ready to, for a fight, he told the people. Soon, Chief Blackfish came with over 400 Shawnees. 
He called Boone to come outside the fort. Daniel Boone went out bravely. Why did you run away, Chief Blackfish asked Boone. I wanted to see my wife and children, Boone answered. You have seen them, the chief replied. Now come back with me, you and all your people. Give me a little time to think it over, Boone said. He hoped that help would come from other forts. He waited and waited, but no help came. We shall defend the fort as long as a man is living, Boone told the people. The fight began. The Indians fired at the fort. The white men fired back. Everyone worked hard. The women and the children loaded guns and carried food to the men. The white men were outnumbered, but the Indians did not know this. The men did not stop fighting for eight days and eight nights. By then, everyone was tired. The Indians had shot flaming torches, and the roofs of the cabin were on fire. Not a drop of water was left in the fort. Look, look, someone shouted. The sky had been dark all day. Now it was starting to rain. It rained, and it poured. The rain came down and put out the fires. It filled, it filled the tubs and pails with water to drink. Everyone felt hopeful again. When morning came, no Indians were in sight. Every single one of them was gone. They had disappeared into the forest, and the fort was saved. The last chapter, Daniel Boone's Reward. The Indian raids kept on all over Kentucky. When the American Revolution ended, the British stopped helping the Indians fight the settlers. Some tribes kept on fighting on their own, but finally the settlers defeated the Indians and forced them to sign a treaty. Things slowly became more peaceful. More and more settlers came west. They came over the wilderness road that Boone and his men had made. They came down the Ohio River in big flatboats. These settlers killed game in the forest. They cleared land, grew crops, built houses, and started tan, uh, towns. Not tans. <laughs> towns. Daniel Boone was 50 years old now. One day he discovered that he did not own any of the land he had thought was his. This does not seem right, he said. I was one of the first to come to Kentucky. My life was hard. I risked it for the people many times. It was not right, but it was true. Boone had been too busy hunting and trapping to put his claims on paper. Daniel Boone lost almost all his land. He tried to farm, but he was not a good farmer. He tried to keep a store, but his heart wasn't in it. His good wife, Rebecca, often took his place in the store while Daniel worked as a guide, showing new settlers the way down the Ohio River. And he held some jobs with the new government. One day, hunters told Daniel Boone about a land farther west near the great Mississippi River. It's wild and free, they said. There are bear and deer. There are herds of buffalo. It's the kind of land Kentucky used to be. That's the place for me, Boone said. It's too crowded here. The other day I looked out of the window and saw the smoke of another man's cabin. I'll go west. I want elbow room. And besides elbow room, he wanted land. He had always dreamed about owning a lot of land. He was disappointed about losing his claims in Kentucky. So Boone and his family went west. The land where they settled belonged to Spain. Later it was traded to the French and then bought by America. It is the land we now call Missouri. The Spaniards were proud to have Daniel Boone live among them. They gave him all the land he wanted. He hunted and trapped in the new country as he had in the old. He sold the furs and skins for a good price. Then Boone made a trip back to Kentucky. He called together all the people he had once known. I owed money to you when I left here, he said, and I want to pay my debts. When he returned to his family in Missouri, Boone was a poor man again, but he had a smile on his face. 
I am a free man, he said. I owe nothing to any man. That makes it worth being poor again. The United States Congress voted to give Boone 1,000 acres of land. It was a reward for all he had done in exploring and settling the West. He hunted and fished until he was very old. He never stopped exploring. He was still looking for adventure and elbow room. But Daniel Boone, traveler, hunter, woodsman, and fighter, will be remembered longest as the man who opened the way to Kentucky. The end. Daniel Boone lived a pretty exciting life, didn't he? We're living in pretty exciting times, too, I think, in some ways. <laughs> Everybody's got their own excitement in their life, I think. But, well, I'll tell you, one thing I learned from reading that book was you got to do the paperwork, too. Can you imagine opening up that whole land of Kentucky and then losing all your land because you didn't do the paperwork? Doing paperwork's a big deal, isn't it? You can't just spend all your time having fun. you got to do the paperwork, too. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. That was the second book I ever owned about Daniel Boone. I really liked it. And I hope you did, too. And now, how about a lullaby? And I'm going to circle back around to where we started lullabies here with Jesus Loves Me. And if you know the hand motions, do them with me while I sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus really does love you, and so do I. I hope you sleep well, and I hope you get a lot of rest, and I hope you wake up tomorrow in a good mood, ready to have a good day, and I'm praying that you have that good day tomorrow. Good night.